0: Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our last this morning on the theological seminar deals with a preeminently practical subject, this matter of what we call backsliding. Now our last broadcast about the last ten we've been dealing with the practical aspects of applied Christianity, which might properly be called practical theology. That is the application of what we've learned. Now, dogmatic theology is properly the branch of studies. The deal with the standard set of beliefs that theologians have passed down from one generation to another. Systematic theology is the arranging of these dogmas into a system. And the system we've studied here is the standard system of theology first, the study of God the Father, Christology, the study of study of God the Son, pneumatology, the study of God the Holy Spirit, ecclesiology, the study of the church demonology, the study of demons, angelology, the study of angels, eschatology, and so forth and so on. However, for the last ten broadcasts, we've been dealing, uh, properly speaking, in the field of practical theology, that is, the application of what we have learned to be true doctrinally from the Word of God. Uh, This is the most commonly spoken about field in uh, preaching today, because, after all, uh, most people are more interested in the practical and devotional aspects of the Bible than they are the doctrinal. And as we pointed out many times in these broadcasts, the first purpose for the writing of Scripture was not practical. The Scriptures were inspired, all Scriptures given in the inspiration of God, to be profitable for doctrine. That is, the main concern of God the Holy Spirit is the dissemination of the truth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in writing a book that was true, thy word is truth, is to teach people the truth. And the fantastic idea that the Bible is written to make people happier, to show people how to get along, is a communist idea. It's a sort of international, devotional, modeling, humanistic, socialistic, political type of thing that has nothing to do with the Word of God at all. And this explains the ravaging effect and the damaging effect of the two or three hundred different translations available today that are nothing but modeling, leavened-down, watered, half-baked versions of the Bible, and they represent the accumulation of uh, 1900 centuries of scholastic stupidity and bungling. This was all gotten into by ignoring the fact that the Scriptures were written primarily to teach things that were so. The modern attitude is, if you can find a few things that are so in the Bible, the translation is reliable. This is the position taken by the faculty members of every apostate fundamentalist institution in America. The naive thinking of these people is that if you can find the fundamentals in a book, that that book is a Bible. Of course, from the standpoint of rationality and sanity, this is uh, demented. You can find the fundamentals of the faith on a piece of paper written on both sides six inches square. That doesn't mean it's a Bible. You can find the fundamentals of the faith in a systematic theology book. That doesn't mean it's a Bible. As a matter of fact, you could find the original fundamentals of the faith in the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., which was put together by unsaved people, saved people, an apostate theologian, neo-orthodox bishops, and an unsaved emperor. Therefore, to teach that the main thing is fundamentalism, is nonsense. The main thing is the truth. And as Jesus said about the Word of God, thy word is truth. So we deal now in these last series of broadcasts with the practical aspects of what we've learned. We must remember that there is no way to conduct ourselves right practically. There is no way for our devotional life to be right or our emotional right life to be right until our doctrinal life is correct. Now, when you begin to talk this way, you run in immediately into the Pharisees who pervert the Word of God to teach false doctrine and the Pharisees who get the doctrinal matters right but ignore the practical matters. It's a two-edged razor, it's a double-edge, and no wonder Jesus Christ refers to this type of thing sometimes as a narrow way. The truth of the matter is, it takes a cool head and a warm heart. An eminent evangelist who preached up and down the world for almost fifty years before he died said this. He said, the road down the Christian highway to heaven is lined with two hedges. On the right side is a burning bush, on the left side is a bush with icicles on it. And if the devil can't push you over and burn you up, he'll try to shove you off the path and freeze you. That is, the devil wants you either burning up so you can't think clear and act clear, or he wants you so frozen, so dead, that while your thinking is clear and your uh, thought life, your intellectual life is right, your practical life is a nullity. Now, in this series of broadcasts, we're taking up the practical aspects of Christianity, and in this lesson today, we're discussing the famous problem of backsliding. Now, to begin with, backsliding is not a New Testament term. It's an Old Testament term. The term comes from Proverbs chapter 14 and Jeremiah chapter 2. You should be careful to know this, because although we use the term practically and devotionally in reference to a Christian out of fellowship with the Lord, doctrinally, are you listening?, Doctrinally, there is no such thing as a backslidden Christian. Now, in Proverbs 14:12, we read, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his ways. This gives us enough cause, enough righteous cause, to take the matter of backsliding and apply it to some individuals in some cases, because Proverbs 14 is certainly aimed at an individual. When he says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his ways, obviously he's talking about an individual. But for this one mention of the backslidden individual in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, you will find the term applied five times to Israel as a nation. So we're dealing with odds of about uh, five to one. The reference in Proverbs is Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 14. Proverbs 14, verse 14, which is the only time it's used of an individual, and of course this is in the Old Testament under the law. Now the word... Most of the time is used in a reference to the nation of Israel that has turned its back on God. Notice in particular, Jeremiah chapter 2:19: "Thy backslidings shall reprove thee." And this is how the term is used mainly in a reference to Israel as a nation. It's talking about a nation that's gone back on God and is sliding away back like a backsliding heifer. Notice Jeremiah chapter three verse 11, Backsliding Israel, Jeremiah 3 verse 6, backsliding Israel, Jeremiah 3 verse 12, backsliding Israel, Jeremiah 3:14, backsliding children. So the term backslider is not a New Testament term. <coughs> the term uh, the accurate term for a Christian who is in the condition of a backslider, he is out of fellowship with the Lord. So, the position is that of a Christian whose heart has gone back on God, and although of course he is still saved, and of course he can never be unsaved, whoever heard of such thing as being unborn again. The people who argue about eternal security are the ones who don't have it. That's been pretty well established throughout the years. The people who talk the most about losing it are people who don't know what it's about. What could be any funnier than a Camelite and a charismatic sitting around talking about eternal security? What could be any funnier than that? If you don't know anything about it, how do you discuss it? Well, the Christians on of fellowship with God has a problem in the heart, and several warnings in the Bible are aimed at Christians to warn them about this condition. For example, 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, the Lord is able to keep us from falling, that is for certain. But of course, when you speak of these things, the unsaved elders think that you're talking about falling from grace. Uh, this nonsense taught by unsaved preachers comes from Galatians 5, where you're told that a man who is counting on the law to justify him has fallen from grace. Well, an unsaved elder is trying to get saved by water, he will insist that a Christian can fall from grace because of the passage in Galatians 5. Whereas if you look at the passage in Galatians 5, you'll find there's no reference to a Christian in the passage at all. The reference is to an unsaved man who is counting on his good works to save him, keeping the law. So we talk about falling. The unsaved elder always thinks about a Christian losing salvation. This is quite natural for a man, of course, who never had it. But when the Bible speaks about falling in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 2 Timothy 1, uh, 12, It is talking about the fact that even though the Christian is saved and born again and headed home for heaven and part of Christ, that he can fall into sin, he can fall into trouble, and if that isn't enough, uh, David says, the just man falls seven times and rises again. There's a great deal of difference between falling in the aisle of an airplane at 32,000 feet and falling out the door, if you get what I mean. When an unsaved elder tries to damn your soul by teaching you uh, water salvation, he thinks that what happens is when you're in Christ, somebody opens the door and you get kicked out of Christ and drop 32,000 feet. That's nonsense. When the Christian falls in Christ, he's in Christ when he falls and he's in Christ when he gets back up. Nothing can separate you from Christ and nothing can take you out of Christ. Now, what is a backslider, practically speaking? Well... Backsliding is turning away from God. In 1 Kings 11.9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God. When a Christian gets out of fellowship, he grows cold and leaves his first love. Revelation 2.4 says, Nevertheless, I have someone against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Getting out of fellowship with God as a saved person is turning from the simplicity of the gospel to salvation by some other way. It's preaching something that isn't so. Some define backsliding as one sin that separates a believer from the Lord, and, of course, uh, these people are unsaved people who never joined the Lord to start with, or they're heretics who renounce their sanity temporarily in order to make a living. Speaking scripturally, the term backsliding is growing cold and losing interest in the Lord, losing interest in the Bible, losing interest in prayer, going to church, and ceasing to witness and turning to the world for help. So we may say that 95% of all the Christians in America today are in a backslidden condition. And the reason why you can't have fellowship with the average Christian is you have to backslide to get into fellowship with him. The average Christian does not witness. And when he does, he witnesses about gifts instead of people going to hell. He doesn't have the courage to tell them to save people they are going to hell. The average Christian is in fellowship with the world in order to make a living. He's afraid if he condemns the world, the world will condemn him. Backsliding is a gradual process. It doesn't happen suddenly. You may be shocked later by the sudden outward manifestation of terrible sin, but as Bob Jones Sr. so aptly said, at the bottom of every tragedy in human character is a long process of wicked thinking. Many little things have entered in and undermined the life long before it comes to a shocking tragedy. The story of lots backsliding illustrates this point. You notice Lot's uh, seven downward steps, which we'll list now. First of all, covetousness. In Genesis 13:10, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain. The eyes are the first to leave the Savior. This is what got Eve in trouble. This is what got David in trouble. When Achan got in trouble, he said, I saw, I coveted, I took. Things seem attractive. Many a man made the mistake of fixing his eyes on the wrong object. This is why Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So covetousness is the first cause of backsliding, the desire to do something big for God, the desire to build a great work, the desire to have a large building and large piece of land, the desire to have a tremendous attendance and a tremendous enrollment and a tremendous income. Covetousness. The Bible says, Beware of covetousness, which is idolatry. The Bible says, Having food and raiment, therewith let us be content." All right, first of all, covetousness. Secondly, Lot made too low a choice. He chose the plain instead of the mountain. Uh, the application here is uh, apparent. You remember when Caleb and Joshua went to the land, they came back and said, we can take it. And Caleb said, I want this mountain, the hard place, the tough place. Caleb aimed high. His sights were up. And uh, Lot was down, looking down at the earth. Then came compromise. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And read in Genesis 13, 13, the men of Sodom were sinners exceedingly before the Lord. Abraham prospered up there in the mountain with God. He was separated and uh, reactionary and an isolationist. That is, when Lot got involved in the total community ethnic enterprise, uh, then he lost his shirt. So one of the best ways the world has is knocking off a Christian is by getting what we call involved. Involvement in the Bible means entanglement in the world system. Paul said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this wife that he may please him with chosen and be a soldier. And the reason why eighty percent of our churches in America are totally ineffective is because they're totally involved. When a call out born again, bunch of people whose citizenship is in heaven, when a bunch of people who are told love not the world, neither the things in the world, when a bunch of people like that who are told that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the sight of God, when well, a bunch of people like that, whose Savior said, I pray not for the world, become totally involved in welfare, ERA, gay liberation, city pollution, water pollution, civil rights, human rights, they lose everything but their salvation if they ever had it, and they become a powerless pipsqueak of an organization, hanging on to the coattails of a world that crucified their Savior. Community involvement is the last thing any Christian should ever get involved in. That's what Lot got involved in. As a matter of fact, he sat in the gate as one of the council's councilmen or aldermen or one of the mayor's assistants. What happened? Well, he was captured by the enemy. In Genesis 14, 11, 12, he was captured. If one lives too near sin, one will be captured. Let the converted drunkard leave the liquor store. And I don't mean package store, I mean the grog shop. I mean the beer joint. Don't call it by something it's not. Package store. (laughs) Oh, aren't we refined, Sonny? Let the thief be removed from the place of temptation. If you flirt with the world, you get burned. If you give sin your finger, it'll take your hand, then your arm, then your body, then your soul. Then Lot became carnal. He sat in the gate of Sodom. He was a member of the town council, a committeeman, an alderman. He had gained worldly influence by total involvement with the ecological environmental control, (laughs) and he lost all the power he ever had with God. Lot loved Sodom. Lot loved the thing that God hated and was about to burn. You know how Lot, you know how God felt about Sodom? He burned everybody in it but Lot and his family. That's how God felt about Sodom. Somebody said, Well, God loved the sinner yeah, enough to burn him. We have a funny kind of a teaching today. We have a funny kind of teaching that it is a heresy to say what David said when David said, I hate those that hate thee, I hate them with a the perfect hatred, I count them mine enemies. We have a terrible aversion today to quote the past that say, These things, the six things that the Lord hates, a high look, and a proud heart, and those that sow discord among the brethren. These people have split the body of Christ with fifty different authorities, called translation, that all go against each other. The Lord says He hates them. Now this is considered heresy by the modern apostate Christian. The modern Christian is an apostate. And as long as you talk about love and peace, peace and love, love and peace, peace and love, he'll listen. Once you begin to talk about hate and wrath and judgment, he'll turn it off. Why? Because he's an apostate. The first word Satan ever said was yes. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The fact is, Lot loved Sodom, and God hated it, and to show his hatred, God burned everybody in that town, and that took care of the babies with the cripples on crutches. You say, wouldn't do it. He did it. Do you know what Jesus said in the New Testament? He said, remember Lot's wife. you know what God did to her? Turned her in a pillar of salt. People forget sometimes that the God who held little babies and the God who said, self little children coming to me, and the God who said, Love is the greatest of the gifts, drowned over five million people and left one man in his family. God sent the flood. The weatherman had nothing to do with it. Lot became carnal. Then he got weak. He got so weak, he was willing to give his two daughters into sin. Just show this shows us when a man goes down and takes the road to backsliding and gets out of fellowship with God, he'll take others with him. When Lot tried to witness, he was like a man that mocked to his son-in-laws. In Genesis 19:14, and this is why most Christians don't dare tell people about the judgment of God. Lot had to go down there and tell him God was going to burn the place. This is why you never met a charismatic in your life who would tell them the same man that he was going to burn in hell. Now you'll find charismatics who get so upset with a genuine Christian witness, they'll tell a born-again man that he's going to hell. You'll find that. You'll find charismatics that get so upset with a Bible believer they'll tell him he's going to hell because he's upset in their apple cart. But you won't find a charismatic that has enough guts to stand in front of a television camera and put his finger out and tell a nationwide audience that if they're not born again, they're going to burn in a lake of fire. And if they did tell a match, you know what the audience would do? They'd laugh. You know why? Because they know a carnal covetous witness when they hear one. Lot was one that mocked to his son-in-laws." Now, if Lot had gone down there and said, "'Boys, I just came down to share with you my experience and share this verse of Scripture with you, and if you'll share a few minutes with me, I'll share a few minutes with you, and if a total community share with our five-year share plan and share our products with those that have, with those that have-nots, and share with each other the love of God so that we can share our experience and cut shares as we share each other and this sharing is reciprocal so that each has an equal share. I would like to share the love and peace of God with you. Peace, brother, love, brother. Let's share everything. They'd have taken it. But he went down there and said, Boys, pack your duds and hit the road. God is going to burn this place to a fare thee well. And his son said, Aw, don't kid us. You're joking. They had Lot's number. How does Lot wind up? He winds up drunk in a cave. He loved sin, he lingered in sin, and he wound up drunk and immoral. You say, where is Lot? Second Peter 2, verse 6 to 8, Lot's in heaven, he's a saved man. Now, you want to say people who believe in salvation by works and experiences and emotions, you can't take that kind of Bible doctrine. Second Peter 2, verse 6 to 8, says Lot, he was a just and righteous man and vexed his righteous soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked, and he was a spiritual brother to Abraham, because although he was his nephew, Abraham refers to him as brethren. Lot is a picture of a Christian who loses all he has of the judgment seat of Christ when his works are tried by fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8-12. Read it. Now read it. I know you want to continue in the humanistic slop you're in, in the emotional, devotional, sharing your experiences, because it's safe. But you can't be a coward forever. You have to face the truth. The truth is a Christian can get in the condition a lot got in and still wind up in heaven, and the truth is many of you are on that road right now, and you don't want to consider what I've just read because it shows how you're going to wind up. And the truth of the matter is, some of you people haven't told an unsaved man he was going to hell since the day you got saved. You've already started in Lot's path. Now, what were the outward causes of Lot's condition? How did he get out of fellowship with the Lord? Well, covetousness, as we said before. Lot lusted for something that was not God-willful him to have. Then society, the fact that Lot's wife looked back shows what she thought of the old homestead and the old crowd, and she couldn't leave it. Christ said one time to his would-be disciples, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And Paul was the famous one who said, Forgetting those things that are behind, society caused lots backsliding. The fear of man, a haughty spirit, selfishness, idolatry, disobedience, all these things contribute to backsliding. Proverbs 16, 18 says, "Uh, The haughty spirit goes before a fall. Proverbs 14.14 14 says, The backslider and heart shall be filled with his own ways. Israel constantly went away from the Lord after false gods. The Lord said about Saul, Saul is turned back from following me and if not performed my commandments. The history of man is a history of perpetual, constant backsliding. Like the old Christian song that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The love of money for Judas. Outlandish women for Solomon. Ambition for power, Simon Mangus. Love of the world, Demas. The real cause of backsliding is failure to maintain a time every day where you pray to the Lord and study God's Word. Failure to pray and failure to read the Bible are the two main causes of backsliding. It is disobedience to God not to pray. It is disobedience to God not to read your Bible. You are commanded to study to show yourself approved, 2 Timothy 2.15. And if you are not reading your Bible, you don't have information about God's will for your life or God's plan for your life. If you forsake assembling yourself together, Hebrews 10, 25, then you've disobeyed the Lord there. This is failure to obey the Holy Spirit. Failure to confess Christ, failure to walk in the light can all contribute to the Christian getting out of fellowship with God. Christ said, Whoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you sealed the day of redemption. When they grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit, lie to the Holy Spirit, we get in a backslidden condition. The results of the backslider, of course, are manifest. When the Christian is out of fellowship with the Lord, there's a loss of power, a loss of peace, a loss of joy and happiness, and most of the time, a loss of assurance about salvation. Many of the people who doubt the salvation are simply Christians who are miserable because they disobey God and are trying to make both ends meet with the world and the Bible, and they won't meet. They never have, and they never will. When the Christian is out of fellowship with God, murmuring and darkness will begin to cloud the daily pathway. Backsliding will lead to the loss of rewards, and the first will suffer loss of the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.15 God's Old Testament promise to backsliding Israel was, quote, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. Hosea chapter 14, verse 4. Now, the way to prevent backsliding and stay in fellowship with the Lord is very simple. Apply Romans chapter 6 and 7 to your life. After you are saved, reckon yourself to be dead. from the body, mortify the members. Be like David who said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Be very careful what is set before your eyes because the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, the greatest factor in your backslidden condition in America is the television set. The television set takes up time for prayer, the first cause of backsliding, takes up time spent in the Word, second cause of backsliding, and puts bad things before your eyes, the third cause of backsliding, which means that no Christian America can spend any time with the idiot box and stay in fellowship with the Lord. It can't be done. The true object I should be set upon is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Paul's goal was Christ. Philippians 3, 14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The only way you can prevent backsliding is spend time in prayer, spend time in the Word of God, mortify your members on earth, put them to death, and be careful what you look at. When Eve saw the fruit, the whole chain reaction began, and it isn't over yet. Stay in fellowship with the Lord. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If you've been backsliding, repent. Remember, God is willing to forgive, forget, give you a second chance. He gave Samson a second chance. He gave Jonah a second chance. He gave David a second chance. He gave Simon Peter a second chance. He'll give you another one. Repent. Return to the Lord. Judge your sin. Confess it. Get clean. And go on for God.